Welcome back, Cracked fans, to another edition of the Cracked Interviews Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. We are well aware here at Cracked Rackets that the entirety of the tennis world tuned in right now to the first major of the 2020 season, the Australian Open, entering the home stretch as quarterfinal play gets underway tonight. Uh, Look, for that sort of action, we've been talking about it all week long on our mini-break podcast each and every day, recapping the previous day's action, previewing the next day's matches as well. Jamie McDonald. Matt Stokoic and myself doing that each and every day so that you listeners never fall behind on the action, which is it is so easy to do. Uh, that being said, look, it's never a bad time for one of these Cracked Interviews podcasts, and that's why we are so b- glad to bring back in today's guest, uh, a guy who we know very well from our Cracked Rackets coverage of the college tennis world, a guy who had uh, success in the 2019 season, reaching his first ATP 250 level final in New York. He made four uh, or three challenger finals as well during the 2019 season and rose to a career high inside the top 100 for the first time in his career. I, of course, am talking about the former UNC Tar Heel, Braden Schnur, who Max Rothman was fortunate enough to talk with right after uh, that New York Open result last year. This time, you know, we, we were happy to bring him back because after one year later, you crack the top 100, have all the success at the challenger level, make your first ATP final. Uh, a lot of wisdom you gain from that sort of experience. So it was really fun to talk to Braden about uh, his 2019 season, what he's learned now after a couple full years on tour, how the game differs uh, from the upper levels of the college ranks, what he's had to change about his game, his lifestyle, all of these different things personally to become the best professional tennis player he can be. And also why he thinks, you know, after X amount of years, I think three now full seasons on the pro or two and a half full seasons on the pro tour, why the ATP tour needs a player's union, uh, why he thinks it would benefit not just, you know, the lower ranked players, but every player uh, through the strength of an ATP players union talks about the efforts Vashik Pospisil, Novak Djokovic have made thus far. So really fun, interesting conversation. We also have some fun at the end. Of course, I run him through my proposed changes for college tennis. Braden, a guy who knows the ins and outs of college, the college game as well as anyone. So that was a lot of fun as well. But for that, with that, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Braden Schnur. Joining us tonight on the Cracked Interviews podcast, you may know him as a former three-time All-American at the University of North Carolina. He reached a career high of number two in the ATP singles rankings last August on the back of his New York Open final appearance as well as four finals at the challenger level. He sits today at a live ranking of number 118, which feels about right as it's the one-year anniversary of his appearance in the Newport Beach challenger final, making his return appearance to the Cracked Interviews podcast podcast. Braden Schnur, welcome back. Thank you for having me. Always a pleasure. Of course. So a lot has changed in the past year for you, and let's start there. Uh, how was your 2019 season, looking back on it all? Yeah, I thought, obviously, 2019 was my best season so far. Um, it was obviously a very positive one, but at the same time, there are a lot of things that I felt like I could have improved on, which is also kind of a positive side uh, or sign looking back at it. Um, you know, I had a lot of reach, a lot of finals, didn't get any wins. And that's kind of my goal for 2020 is to improve on, you know, not just making the final of events, but winning them. Um, obviously, um, the points 
at the in the finals uh, make a huge difference whether you're runner-up or champion so um, if I could have captured one or two titles um, I think well I for sure would have ended the year inside the top 100 and would have put me uh, in line to start the year a little differently but again um, you know not complaining at all I'll take that uh, finishing the year just outside the top 100 I'll take that any day Um, so yeah it was a great year for me. For you, uh, you make four finals in total, the three at the challenger level, and then that one in New York I mentioned, 37 and 32 overall on the year. That's a lot of matches. I mean, that means it, you know, you're playing 32 tournaments throughout the season. Uh, how did that, you know, after this past year, going into this offseason, preparing for 2020, did you feel it more this year because of all of the traveling you did, the, you know, vacillating between the ATP 250 level and the challenger level, maybe adjusting your schedule along the way. Did you feel any of that wear any more so at the end of last season? Um, I mean, my, my body spoke for itself at Davis cup. I actually got hurt. Um, so I hurt my back and I didn't really actually have an off season or a preseason. Sorry. Uh, this year, uh, I was completely out for six weeks. So, um, I was fortunate enough to be to be able to go to Australia. I started playing tennis about three days before my trip to Australia, and uh, you know I didn't have any expectations going there, but uh, you know definitely my body my body spoke for you know, for myself, and uh, I was tired. Obviously, that's why I got a little hurt. But uh, you know those five six weeks off that I had um, in November December uh, really gave me a good time to just like refresh my mind. And obviously, it was a long year, so. Uh, I'm in a really good, like, clear headspace now, and I feel, you know, really refreshed. I haven't taken five or six weeks off uh, in – I came in, I couldn't even tell you how long, maybe four or five years. So with tennis, it's always go, 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 but it felt really good to just take that time away from the court. So a couple of things off of that. You mentioned you played about three days before your trip to Australia. What is that like for you? And did you feel a pressure to play right away? Would you have preferred to maybe not start that season in Australia, just take that month off? Um, yeah, it's obviously it's a really tough call. Um, you know, it's at the end of the day, my decision was based on that as a kid and still now, you know, tennis players go to bed dreaming of playing in grand slams and that at the end of the day that's the decision that I made is to go to play in Australia and I felt like I was able to obviously I wasn't physically anywhere near my best but I felt like I was healthy enough to go out on court and um and play tennis so I I said you know why not go there and and I told my coach you know let's go and let's use it as a training block and you know whatever happens happens but uh, there's no pressure you know i'm just going to take it as take it as we go and uh you know just go out there and compete and just try to you know see what we can do and I think that's the mindset, if you don't mind me saying, that got For you sure. inside that top 100 in August. Now, uh, you use the word pressure, and again, this isn't meant to be a gotcha question, but mm. there is the idea that you have a lot of points to defend early in this season. You have the Newport Beach Challenger Final, that New York Open Final. I think it's a Challenger Semifinal and two Challenger Quarterfinals to defend through March. Um, it's just the reality we live in. It's a points-based system, so does that weigh on your mind this early in the season? Uh, honestly, not too much. Um, you know, you can kind of tell the players that, that worry about points, you know, their ranking kind of reflects and they have drops every year and and they dip up and down. But looking back at how my career has gone so far since I left college, I've been on a slow, steady, uh, incline. And I think that's just the way my philosophy 
that I think about when I'm trying to defend those points is I, I don't necessarily think about defending week to week. I think about more just every year starting fresh and trying to build and, and the points like almost as if, let's say, you know, you're counting points to get to the Nido finals, you know, mm-hmm. points gained. And that's what I'm looking at. Um, you know, I'm not really trying to focus on what I have to defend this week or, or, or what I don't have to defend three weeks from now. Um, you know, I might have a lot of points coming up at the beginning of the season, but I think grass is my best surface and I have almost no points to defend during the grass season. So, you know, there's ups and downs. And also after New York, I took a good four week, four or five weeks off. I had a surgery last year. And so there I have a huge gap of four or five weeks with nothing to defend. So, you know, just as there are weeks where I have to defend, there are also weeks where I can, you know, do well and gain a lot of points. I'm glad you brought up that gap you took because I know uh, for you, it, it, it must have, I know you've had lingering knee injuries. It's something you mentioned the last time you were on this podcast, but for you to make that ATP final, uh, take that, make that decision to take a full month off, which is something you haven't really done before. Uh, why was that the choice you made in that moment to take the month of April off and just sort of reset things for your season? Yeah. Um, so kind of going into transitioning from 2018 to 2019 I finished the 2018 season I think with probably around 31 or 32 tournaments again I played a lot of challenger events that year in 2018 and I finished the very last week of the year which was I believe second week of November and so when I came back to Montreal and kind of sat down to look at the schedule for the first couple months of 2019 with my coach we had decided that um, regardless of how I did at the beginning of the year, I was going to, I was going to use those weeks as a training block. And obviously after New York, I wasn't necessarily supposed to play <laughs> Delray. It's a hell of a training block. Yeah. But it's cause, because at the end of 2018, I decided to, uh, we weren't, we weren't going to take that long. I only took like 10 days off or something crazy, you know, a really short off season or excuse me. I took a longer off season and didn't do a long preseason. I did a two week preseason. Mm-hmm. And so we wanted to use that as a training block. And so obviously when he said that, I said, listen, I, you know, I would like to have this surgery on my nose cause I couldn't breathe out of one side of my nose and the doctor's appointments book up really fast. So, you know, I, I went and went ahead and booked that appointment in and, you know, the next time I could get in there, I don't know when I was the next time I would be able to get in there to do that surgery. So uh, I just kind of winged it and, you know, Looking back on it, is it something I regret? Probably, like, not really because it helped me a lot physically on court. Um, You know, looking back on my 2019 season, maybe one or two regrets that I have is maybe not playing Indian Wells in Miami. Obviously, I had missed the Indian Wells sign-up because I had, that had obviously, that sign-up had come before New York. But uh, I definitely think I should have, you know, when I was hot, taken more chances. And with your ranking where it's at at the start of this year, and I'm sure you you know enjoy the fact that for the second year in a row you're going to play Max Cressy. You may have another all-college showdown the round after that as well here in Newport Beach this week. But with your ranking beer being where it is, you're kind of in that you know in-between zone of you can probably get into ATP 250 qualies if you want to go that route, but you'll certainly be seated if you go the challenger route, maybe the safer route, uh, some more winnable rant- matches at least ranking wise, how do you balance and what, what, what's the balance going to be for you in the early parts of this 2020 season between ATP 250 and challenger level events? Yeah, it's mostly just playing events that I feel comfortable, um, you know, condition surface wise, um, 
you know, I've done a couple of trips over to Asia the past couple of years. I've slowly come to learn that, you know, playing over there probably isn't, aren't the best conditions for my game. So looking, you know, looking at right now where I'm at and the beginning of the season, it was, I thought it was a good idea, obviously, to play the same stretch that I did last year because I played well during these events. Um, and then obviously New York is a, is a, is a two fifty, but it's, it's, a, it's not an easy call. Um, I think you just need to go with where you feel you play best and what service suit your game. Uh, and that's just trying what I'm trying to do right now. Um, as far as choosing challenger tour events. You are from Canada. Uh, during your time at Chapel Hill, you played plenty indoors. In fact, while you were there, you led the team to the national in- or helped lead the team to the national indoors title. Something I want to talk about again in a little bit. But is it safe to say indoor hardcourt is your preferred surface? Um, yeah, indoor. It, it, it probably is. It's probably up there with grass. I would say. Um, you know whether one's better than the other. I don't know. I definitely enjoy my my. I enjoy tennis more on grass. Um, that's probably for me the happiest time of the year uh, and most enjoyable time uh, of the season. But indoor hard is definitely one that uh, you know I like. Obviously, there there are tournaments that are super slow indoor hard. Like I played Stockholm last year, and that was slower than almost a clay court. So it just depends on how the indoor courts are playing. You mentioned the grass court there. I know nine and four on grass in 2018. Uh, I think you went three and six though last year on the mm-hmm. surface. Although a couple of good matches. What is it about the grass that you enjoy so much that you get to move forward recklessly? Yeah, pretty much. Um, <laughs> you know, just moving forward, and I don't know. It's so different, and you just go into the season like that part of the grass season with like I think everyone goes in with a with no, little to no expectations because just anything can happen out there. And uh, I just love the fact that it's kind of a gamble, and and the and the players that kind of know how to play on it or, or like to take chances and move forward, big servers have a slight advantage. Um, I feel like that's kind of my game style. So I've kind of always just enjoyed the grass. It's a fun, fun couple weeks where there's no expectations, and obviously Wimbledon is. I mean, that's the the high the highlight of of my year every year. So. Um, having the opportunity, whether it's main draw or qualities this coming year, just the opportunity to you know get into the main draw or even start in the main draw is is really special. Yeah, and uh, maybe the, it's the all white clothing, the white hat. It accentuates all parts of your serve. Uh, so maybe that's the, the added Baby. bonus for you. <laughs> yeah, added bonus for you as well. Um, but talking about your game, you seem to sound so comfortable with where you're at. Seem to be much more confident in the things you do well. How to accentuate those with your schedule? All of these different things. I'm curious because it, it feels like more and more we see, especially those who follow the challenger level closely, these top uh, guys, these guys at the the top of the college tennis ranks, making that transition and having success immediately now on the Challenger Tour. As someone who was a three-time All-American, played one singles for three years for a team, uh, you know, won a national indoor title the year after you leave, same core group, makes that NCAA championship. Um, how different is the level from where you were at playing one singles in the ACC to now what you see week in, week out on the Challenger Tour? Yeah, I think it's very different. Um you know, uh, it's, it's tough. Not going to lie. Like when I first left college, I wasn't winning many challenger matches. Uh, and I was for sure not going deep in, in challenger events, but then you see guys like Nakashima, who's, you know, I, I, from, from what I heard, I, I don't really follow follow college tennis that closely. 
anymore outside of outside of UNC. But I believe from what I heard is that he didn't have the greatest college year last year. But then he comes out and he's like finaling semifinals almost every challenge he's played in so far. So there are guys that, you know, make make the transition really fast. But uh, again, you know, I think it's a lot of game like personalities and game styles. Once guys find their game style and and get used to the travel and and uh, the adjustment of being alone a lot more, not having a team. That's when those guys seem to peak. Last time you were on this podcast, you talked about the uh, improvement in your fitness since you left the college game, and that's obviously a big difference as the higher and higher you go up the ranks in the ATP singles rankings, the, the fitness levels get better and better. But for you, you know, your big game, I think anyone who watched you in college said, you know, you always had pro weapons. How has been toggling that balance between, you know, emphasizing the serve, the big forehand, plus, you know, the, the flip side is the physicality of the challenger events, the fact that some of these different game styles may be grinding on a different day as opposed to playing big might be the strategy you need to employ. Uh, how, how have you, you know, kind of balanced between accentuating the things you're best at with working on those skills that maybe you aren't as good at? Yeah, it's, I'm not going to lie. It's pretty tough. Um, you know, having all the weapons, is kind of like a double-sided sword. Um, at times, uh, you find yourself extremely confident but overplaying and then there's times where you're not so confident but you can go out there and you can you can get away with serving well one match and, and get a win and build from there but um you know it, it is tough it's it's constant work you know uh, i'm lucky enough to have a coach that always pushes me and and he, he is hard at times but i believe that he is the right direction for me and my game um and following the footsteps of other players he's coached like milos and pospisil who are similar to my game style um, so, uh, yeah, it's definitely not easy working on things, but, uh, or trying to improve when you're playing every week, but, uh, you know, you do what you can do. And, and I think, uh, you know, the best players in the world, they find a way to make it work. The first time you saw yourself serve on video, were you like, damn, that's a deep knee bend. Like it looks uh, nice. Uh, I hate my serve. I struggle watching myself <laughs> play at times. I bet that's, that can't be fun. I mean, I don't know if I'm the only one or if other players say the same thing, but it's just, I don't know, my technique and, I mean, not from my, from my surf to the forehand, backhand, everything, I just, it just, oh, I just, I don't know, I, it's weird <laughs> watching myself play. <laughs> All right, well, if you want a secondhand opinion, the forehand, when you step up, it's gorgeous. Just because you look like you're getting all of your body, you're like, yeah, I'm unloading on this one, be ready. Uh, the backhand's gotten prettier. There's no denying that. Uh, well, the backhand you. slice you're working in, I enjoy it quite a bit. Um, but for you, and this again gets back to the college aspect, you seem so comfortable moving forward. And I'm sure, again, indoor tennis, I'm from Michigan, uh, you're from Canada. When you play indoors, you learn to move forward at the net. Otherwise, you're just playing tennis forever out mm -hmm. there. Uh, how have you, because as you go through the challenger level, the passing shots get better. All of these different things get better. Uh, how, you know, having a game that's so predicated on being aggressive, the margins being so thin, it could be one break of serve on a given day determining whether you win or lose uh how do you maintain your confidence through the ebbs and flows of an aggressive game style yeah it's tough it's it's a lot of repetition and work in practice uh, and i'm a big believer in it starts in practice and putting in the putting in the hours um it's one of those things that it's a it's a game style where uh you have to be willing to accept that some days guys are going to beat you and guys are going to come with good shots 
and there's nothing you can do about it and and that's life um that's what sports are all about um but again you know it's it's about playing brave and, and gutsy and that's kind of the way i like to play tennis and and you know there are guys that are really solid from the back and and i just know that my game style sometimes it's not good enough to beat them from the back and so what am i going to do to challenge them or beat them it's by moving forward serving big taking chances making them feel comfortable uncomfortable sorry no, please you never have to apologize to me. Um, yeah, and I think that is it's, it's so fun to watch because uh, do you feel under those terms at least you're dictating the result? It's on your racket, you know, how whether you win or lose. Exactly, yeah, and I mean a lot of it is making the right decisions and being smart. It's It sounds easy to just go to the net and whatever happens, happens, but then again there are times when you probably shouldn't go to the net or, or missed opportunities where I could have shortened the point a little bit faster and moved forward. Um, but yeah, it is, it's very tricky. Um, but it's, uh, it's about making the right decisions. And like I said, just kind of playing gutsy. Uh, this is a stupid coin of phrase, but I like to call it testosterone tennis. And I think sure. why it's applicable in particular to you is that having watched you in college and we had the chance to talk to your former head coach, Sam Paul, as part of our college contender series, this, uh, this past off season. And I kind of chatted with him about you a little bit to get ready for this, uh, I'm saying this lovingly. You are not one who's afraid to show their emotions on court, in particular the match that screams out to me. If I could watch you play Ryan Shane at one singles in that national indoor final over and over and over again on loop, I would because the emotions of that match were just incredible. Um, but you know, you, it's one thing to have that level of emotion in college. It's another thing when, again, week in, week out, it could be one loss in Shanghai, and then the next week you're in Stockholm playing qualifiers or whatever it may be um for you is it safe to say you've reined that part of your game in and how much have you time have you spent working on the mental aspect of things yeah i mean i work a lot on the mental aspect of things uh as far as the as far as you know staying calm during matches and and not and making the highs not so high and the lows not so low but again you know I'll be the first one to admit that I was a little bit of a sport in college. You know, that was me. I was so confident. I was winning a lot of matches. Um, You know, my best friends were my teammates, and I didn't have to worry about winning or losing. Like, you know, I didn't have to worry about winning or losing the friendships just because I was kind of an sport. But um, at the end of the day, I think pro tennis changes everyone uh, because not only are these guys – uh, you know the players you're playing against, uh, your competitors and rivals, but they're also your friends because you're everyone's on the road alone. Everyone's on the road alone, and it's a long journey, and and uh, everyone's trying to do the same thing and reach the same goals. So you can't act that way in pro tennis. Um, and I think I learned that really fast. Um, and I think that's probably the biggest reason what's calmed me down the most is just knowing that, um, you know, these guys are. As much as they are rivals, they are friends, and and uh, that's just the way it is. That's the sport we play. Um, but at the same time, you know, uh, there are guys out there that I know that are still and acting the way they are on court. And uh, I know for a fact that they struggle to find practice partners because I would want to practice with someone like that. Uh, I know what I was in college, and I know how I acted. And now, looking back, I probably wouldn't want to practice with me back then either. But you just can't do. It. I feel like you just can't do that on the pro tour anymore. 
No, I'm really glad you bring up that aspect of things because this is my last serious question, and then I want to have some fun with you. Uh-huh. Talk some fun rule. Yeah, I, I, again, a lot of these serious questions. I have like a list of goofball questions, and we just didn't get to them because it's a testament to you how candid you are, and we really appreciate that. That's why we always enjoy having you on here at Crack Rackets. Flattery aside, though. Um, I, I know you talk about that camaraderie, and as of late, we see so many guys, you know, behind the racket from Noah Rubin is really the epitome of this, but guys like Jared Hiltzik, yourself, Vashik Pospisil, talk about the need for ATP players to come together, in particular, something that's always hovered above this topic, uh, the need or lack, the fact that there is not an ATP players union, and I know that's something you have talked about before in favor of the idea. Can you talk about why you support that idea of an ATP players union and in particular why you think it the buy-in for the players union it can't just be challengers and futures players but it's got to be a top-down effort from everyone on the ATP side yeah um so that's a pretty good last big question to ask me um (laughs) but uh yeah I'm very opinionated and I have strong opinions and sometimes you know I get caught off guard with my words but um I'll try and you know, say what I can here now about it. Uh, and my reasoning behind it is obviously, um, I'm a big believer in change and, you know, you see other games like NBA and NFL and these games are evolving and they're always adapting. And, uh, as far as, you know, um, the way these players are getting treated, you know, the quality of life, these players are living, um, yada, yada, yada. And you look at tennis as a whole and we're having the same conversations um, in 2020 that we're that we were having, um, you know, 15, 10, 15 years ago. And the conversation is that only 100 players in the world make a living out of tennis. And yes, the prize money's increased. And yes, um, uh, you know, tournaments have gotten better, and the, and the lifestyle of a challenger player has gotten better, and the prize money's going up slowly, but so is the cost of living everyday life. And, you know, I, you know, I'm not trying to say that I'm not grateful. I've, you know, I've done okay for myself so far in my career, but I believe that there's a lot more that these grand slams are holding out on us and they're not giving us, uh, you know, a big enough piece of the pie um, and what we deserve. And I feel like that's the need that, um, that's kind of what the players deserve is, is, is a bigger chunk of the pie. And, um, you know, people will look at it any way they want to, and people will be negative and say, Oh, it's too much money to give players for one match or just an hour or two on court. But people don't realize all the, um, people outside of tennis don't realize all the expenses that we incur, um, from week to week. You know, we pay for our travel, we pay for our coach, we pay for all of our coaches expenses. We pay for our own expenses. Um, so it's not cheap. And so that's pretty much the whole, my biggest argument for why we need a players union. Um, and I think obviously Vashik Pospisil and Novak Djokovic are leading this players union. Um, and we do need names like Djokovic and, and obviously bigger names to step forward um, and kind of come and join our cause. But everyone has their own reason um, for doing uh, their own thing. And I just, I would love to see tennis evolve and I would love to see 250 guys out there making a living for themselves um you know it's one thing to put a put rackets in kids hands and that's great and all but at the end of the day if those kids don't have a chance at actually making a living at this sport 
it's kind of tough, you know? So, um, that's my whole reason for vowing and, and jumping behind uh, the bandwagon of Djokovic and, and Pospisil, uh, trying to create a player's union to speak, um, on behalf of the players in front of the Grand Slams. Well, that's the reason I wanted to end with that serious question, Braden, because I knew you'd nail the answer. And if you don't mind me saying, I completely agree. I mean, it's things as you know big as prize money and just you know pension plans, healthcare, what we're doing for all of these players, and then it's things as small as. You know, it's just week in, week out. How many events? Where are all of these events? Uh, all of the fact that there's no uniform system, that it's really just at the will of what places can host a tournament at any given time, that the players don't, you know, collectively come together, that you know, an event like ATP Cup for some people can be a 19th event in the rankings points. And, you know, there's nothing we can really do about it. You can debate whether that's fair or not fair, but yeah. if the players come together, those peers, as you mentioned, who week in, week out are serving as hitting partners for one another, are serving as doubles partners sometimes coaches for one another all of these different things it makes sense that they would want to bargain as a collective uh so i I think my stance on that pretty clear um but yeah i I mean again it's so refreshing i think in the era of social media in particular and you can tell me if i'm right or wrong about this brayden it does feel as though we have because players are able to speak to a public forum more frequently that these sorts of issues are brought to light and that we're progressing in the right sort of way 100 percent, i couldn't agree with you more um, I just think the most challenging thing moving forward with this whole players union and trying, well, not trying, we are uniting as, you know, there are, there are lots and lots of players. I will tell you now that are, that have joined our union in the past six months. Um, and we are slowly growing and we have the majority of, you know, probably the top 150, the majority of the top 150 in both men and women's side of the game. So um, it's only about it's only a matter of time until we're heard, and the Grand Slams will have a choice to make. And uh, you know um, whether they want to keep us happy or angry, that's up to them. So we'll let them decide. Yeah, it will be something certainly fascinating. One of the many storylines that will emerge. Everyone just did their best of the decades for the 2010s tennis stuff. This will be one of the storylines, without a doubt, of the 2020s, and it's something I'm sure we will all monitor. But enough serious stuff. Time to have some fun with you. Uh, Yeah, I promised some fun, so we will get there. And again, I I won't take up too much of your time, but I have a rapid-fire series of questions. The topics will vary uh, from question to question. I'll try and keep it topic-oriented, but does that sound good to you for the home stretch? Let's do it. All right, Westoff, give me a rapid-fire sound effect, please. Um, all right, so we had our college contender series, and not this is a little shameless plugging. Uh, we got to talk to the top 10 coaches from last year's year-end rankings, and throughout that, I, w- I ran them through some ideas I have at, for changes to college tennis now. You played at the highest level of college tennis. You know what works, what doesn't work. So I want to run some of them by you, and I have three definitive rule changes. Uh, let's start with the big one, hooking. And... I think we all can agree line calls are not the best in college. Certainly, it's one of the most unintentionally comedic aspects of the game. One could argue the most enjoyable is the tension that comes from those moments, but something we arguably want to get rid of for the benefit of the game. So my idea is in lieu of dealing each hook as an individual thing, from now on, any time a player gets overruled on any court, it applies as a point penalty 
to all of that player who hooks teammates. So not only does he get overruled and lose the point, but all of his fellow teammates get a point penalty as well. The reason I'm in favor of it, you know, it raises the accountability of, you know, teammates will say, dude, you screwed me. You know, I was up a break and you gave the break right back to him or, you know, just vice versa, all, all of those sorts of things. Are you in favor or are you against that? I'm totally in favor. I can't believe you thought of that. I would have never thought of that in a million years. That's a good one. <laughs> That's what I do with my free time. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, that would work, right? Because let's say, and I'm going to throw him out there because he's a friend of mine. Let's say Jack is just hooking nonstop at five singles for you guys. And you're just like... Yeah, and you're just like, Jack, you got to stop. Like, this is enough. Don't you think the only way to get him to stop would be if, like, you, Ronnie, you know, Kelly, Clark were all like, dude, you're killing us. Oh, for sure. I mean, at the end of the day, like... Everyone hooks in college tennis and they know it because if it happens across the net from you, you're going to do it right back to them. That's the only way to get back at them. And, um, yeah, you're probably only going to listen to your teammates because those are your friends. So um, whether they're doing it on purpose or not, definitely uh, I'm in favor of that for sure. All right. I appreciate it. You are not the, I want you to know that one has gotten probably the highest approval rating of all of the ideas yeah. from here. We go on, it gets weirder and weirder. All right. Um, all right. The coin toss. I think it's one of the stupidest things in college tennis. People should be competing from the moment they step out on the court. So in lieu of that, we have the two head coaches play out a drop and hit point. No winner on the first ball. Whoever wins that point gets to decide the serving arrangements on each of the courts. I hate that because Coach Paul wouldn't win one. <laughs> what if Trip gets to play? Yeah, then I'm in favor. <laughs> so, like, one of the coaches could be the oh, assistant okay. or the head. Um, I mean, it's it's a funny idea, but I don't know. I'm not. I mean, ugh. it's too far fetched. It's too far away from what tennis actually is. Yeah, that's true. The fans might really love it. My other idea was scrap the coin flip and let's make it competitive. Rock, paper, scissors. Because I just want the meeting where like Ty Tucker's like, guys, the Tar Heels throw paper 45% of the time. Like under no cer- – like we're throwing scissors. Uh, I think that would be funny. Oh, uh, I mean that that's a little better, yeah. Uh, <laughs> either one. I'm against both of those, but they're pretty – that was a good laugh. All right, I appreciate it. Well, again, from here, it's going to get uh, last two for you. Moving courts for the fans. The most annoying thing, if it's a section where it's three courts on one side, three on the other, is that one and six are the last two matches on, and you can't really see both. Would it be too annoying for the player to ask that they move courts to condense so that all the fans could be in one place at the end of a match? Yeah, I, no, I think you keep the same court. Uh... Yeah, just superstition and just rhythm. Yeah, just kind of, yeah, it's too much, you know, to take a break. I mean, sure, maybe if you're if you're just starting a third set and you're in between sets, but I mean, with the way ten, the direction tennis is going, with twenty five in between, twenty five seconds in between points, and I don't even know how long, I don't even know how long the changeovers are now, but it just seems like it's getting faster and faster. Uh, it just would be uncomfortable to move courts, but I'm definitely in lieu of you know having fans. Just, I mean, in college tennis, I don't think it's as big of a problem as in the pros. But fans just move freely and do what they want, you know, like, I'm not really, you know, if people are moving outside of the court, I'm never the one to be like, stop moving, um, you know. Counterpoint, and I say this lovingly, I saw that YouTube video with you against Gosia. That could not have been enjoyable to play your sophomore year in what might be the rowdiest crowd in college tennis in Champaign. Definitely, uh, definitely one of the rowdiest crowds in college tennis, and 
that was no fun. I think I won that match, and I still believe I do. I, I won that match, but somehow I lost. And um, I don't I'm think I'm gonna get I've you in seen, trouble. I don't think I've seen a worse line call in my life. Is that one zero in the tiebreaker? And when I hit the drop volley, I mean that thing was like a meter inside the inside the far sideline. He calls it out, and it was I was mind blown. Yeah, it was uh, not great. Yeah, uh, to say the least. And the idea for the hooking rule of empowering line judges, and I say this lovingly because they are the unsung heroes, but they make some poor calls. And like to put all that power in the line judge to say, hey, not only do you get to overrule this court, but you get to give a point penalty to all six now. I mean, that's a lot. I mean, it is a lot. And I've heard stories of not going to say any names, what they're doing to their refs. So, I, you know, these are just stories I hear, but I've heard of you know, teams paying off the referees. And so that does put a lot of pressure or gives gives a lot of power to the umpires, which is, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a tough one. That's why these rules are, they're hard to change, you know? No, that that's a fair one. Uh, I agree with you. And again, it's, it's part of what makes college tennis so fun is that the heightened tension just leads to, you know, the sort of adrenaline rush you want as a fan of any sport. Um, all right, we'll move on. And then I know you've got to go and you've okay. been so kind with your time. No uh, yeah, all right. Quick, quick, couple more college-related things, but this is more just in general. Getting back to that, who do you dislike playing more at UVA or at Illinois? Uh, at Illinois. Yeah, that. Uh, yeah. As fun as that might be, um, I imagine it's a pain. Yeah, it's one of those where I just, you know, it's so unclassy, yeah. and it's just. Oh, it's just, I don't know, playing there is, is brutal. Um, and I just, yeah, every time we played there, some of the players were hooking and there was just always confrontation. And that was always the match that it got the, it got the dirtiest or ugliest. Yeah, but it was also made for the best viewing experience as a for fan. Sure. And again, yeah, I say that affectionately. All right, um, for you, I know you took the time to go to Athens, Georgia for uh, NCAA final, I believe, in 2017. Uh, how, you know, to watch your Tar Heels make the finals must have been a blast, but how painful was it for you to watch that final and not be able to play in it? Yeah, I mean, it, it sucked, but at the same time, <laughs> Um, the decision I made to leave was, you know, I had given it a lot of thought and, you know, I had done well that year. Um, so did I have regrets and not want to be out on the, or for sure I wanted to be out on the court, but did I have regrets in the decision? Cause I could have very easily stayed one more year. Uh, I don't have any regrets, but yeah, I mean, it's tough, you know, to, if I would have played a lot of guys could have said we could have won and, and, you know, I'm sure, you know, we would have had a very good chance. Because they were close that day, but again, you know, Virginia. I mean, they've been so good over the years when I was there. Um, you know, just to make the final was a really was a really special day. You know. Yeah, and but I will say this, because I, I love Ronnie. But let's say you're still there. Probably go Schnur Blumberg Schneider. That's freaking insane. Like the idea of that as a top three, and then Kelly Murray, maybe Boyd, and maybe Soundergard, depending on the mood. That's nasty. Mm, no, yeah, that's filthy. I'm not gonna lie, that's filthy. Um, that's a pretty solid team. 
I like that a lot. Uh, all right, ending Virginia's streak at ACC, last college-related one. I, on on your tennis accomplishments, I'm sure making the New York Open final was a blast and probably has more you know long-term implications for your career. But that win in the moment in Charlottesville, you end their ACC winning streak. You bring home the first national indoor title in program history. How juicy a moment is that for you? Oh, it's it, up until New York, it was the biggest um... – proudest moment um i have ever had on a tennis court um yeah without a doubt it was so special you know obviously just because we had never beaten virginia in the years that i was there and we just you know we conquered something that no one really believed we could do no at least no one on our team thought we could do um and to give you know the guys that aren't playing pro now or the guys moving forward just a memory that they could cherish for the rest of their lives uh, and, and unite us all the time. Um, that was really special. So definitely up until New York, that was my greatest memory on a tennis court. And I got to sneak in. It's my oh, se- no, sorry. I, I wanted to sneak in one more about UNC uh, for you. It should your team, you know, and this year's lineup, I know you have two fellow Canadians there. You started the pipeline in Cernok and Seguin. Uh, I mean, this UNC lineup this year, Blumberg, uh, Seguin, Rinky, Peck. Uh, Peck's playing five, I think. Cernok, Kiger, Sondegaard. Your national title con- uh, contender favorites? I, honestly, I couldn't tell you who's, who's like, what other teams <laughs> look good. But I, I, I would say we are as strong this year as when we, you know, made a national championship final or when we won national indoors. I truly believe, you know, Rinky is Rinky is really, really good. He is he's Ronnie Schneider pretty much. I, I think he's <laughs> Ronnie Schneider from Australia. Um, you know, he's a he's a rock, and so wherever he plays, he's going to be a complete stud. Um, so I think, I think their top three are looking really good. And obviously down the line, we got some, got some guys that serve cannon. So that always helps. Yeah. I'll say this rinky, maybe a three inch taller version of Ronnie. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Too, too soon. Is that too yeah. rude? Sorry. Yeah. We got <laughs> to get Ronnie some high heels or something. <laughs> well, no, he's the assistant at Indiana so that he wouldn't stand in that lineup and real, you know, you look at the photo and you're like, where's Ronnie? He's in the back. I um, know. <laughs> <Yeah>. no, I'm, <laughs> uh, no, I'm just kidding. All right. My last question to you, I do want to ask, since it's Australian Open Week, all of our listeners listening to this will have the Australian Open on the top of their minds. You got the chance to play qualifying there. You're aware of the conditions, the atmosphere, uh, obviously all of the concerns with the wildfires going in Australia, uh, something you know far more important than the tennis, but inevitably it does have an effect on the tennis, uh, You know the surfaces, the ball, how it's all playing given what you know about all that who is your favorite to emerge with the men's singles title uh in australia um i think the winner of milos so raonic djokovic wins I all right i forgot you were going to be biased and answer milos well, i should have realized not that biased i just <laughs> i haven't seen milos look this good in probably two or three years like just the, his physique, the way like his body looks, the way he's carrying himself right now. He's so confident. He's so fit. Uh, obviously, he has. I think maybe I'm a little biased when I say this, but I think he has the best serving tennis when he's on, uh, and he for sure is on. So I think the winner of that is going to come out on top. Yeah. Did you notice people have been talking about 
the courts and the balls fluffing up, will that be a factor at all? Because you mentioned it. Rayon, I don't think he's been broken yet this tournament, and if he has, it's once at the most. He has been just lights out. I mean, he hasn't. I know. I don't know about being broken, but he definitely hasn't lost a set, and I don't think so. And uh, I haven't noticed anything with the balls, honestly. You know, everything with the smoke and and all that. It was it was only really bad the the couple days leading up to qualifying, and then the first two days of qualifying after that, it was completely gone. Um, and I say completely gone. Maybe it was there was a little bit there, but you couldn't feel it at all. You know, it was mostly just the first two days of qualies and a, and a couple practice days before. But f- since I've left, I'm not sh- I'm not aware of the conditions. But I I'd never noticed a difference with the balls or, or or fluffing up or anything like that. Yeah, and I mean, I Milos, yeah, he hasn't lost a set. He knocked off Tsitsipas, Chilich, Garin, Justino. I mean, really good wins for him throughout the way. His closest set, he's played one seven six set against Tsitsipas in the third. Wow. The rest of the times, he's gotten the breaks. Yeah, uh, upset alert for sure, and that will be really fun. I know you have a match tomorrow against Max Cressy, so I want to let you go. I am gonna, I'll sneak in one more. Anyone who's out in Newport Beach this weekend, anyone who gets the chance to see you play, you know, what are you hoping they take away from the Braden Schnur experience in 2020? Uh, yeah, just come out and have fun. You know, at the end of the day, tennis is a, is a sport that people should enjoy, and, and I'm in, in, in the entertainment business, so I just want to entertain people and have fun on the tennis court. Yeah, well, thoroughly entertaining throughout the course of this interview. So, Brayden, thank you so much. Good luck to you against Cressy. Uh, you know, if there's any physical ailments, that's serving volley. Match, no way it goes over two hours. So you have that, at least, to uh, take solace in. But good luck to you throughout the rest of, of your season, and uh, hopefully we get the chance to talk to you again soon. Anytime. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, of course. Take care. All the best. Thanks. Bye. Hope you enjoyed my conversation with former UNC All-American and former ATP Top 100 player and likely to get back there by my estimates during the 2020 season, Braden Schnur. Always appreciate how candid, thoughtful Braden is with all of his answers. There's no topic that's out of bounds for him. And, you know, that's why we're so excited not only to see, you know, him, but all of these young college players make the transition successfully onto the Pro Tour because I really think just they're so well-rounded that experience they have at a university, just the chance to mature before becoming a professional. You can see how beneficial it is to their games, Braden, you know, just going on at length about how he was able to learn how to become a professional during his time at UNC so that he was ready to go when he turned pro. So huge shout out to Braden for taking the time to come back on the interview and good luck to him uh, as he participates this week in the Newport Beach Challenger. Look, Again, we know right now all eyes in the tennis world focus in Australia, and if you've missed any of the coverage, we encourage you go check out our website, CrackedRackets.com, on the Mini Break Podcast, Daily Recap and Preview Pods to get you recapped from last night's action, previewed for this upcoming night's action each and every day of the tournament. 
Matt Stokowiak, Jamie McDonald, and myself. You can, again, find that on our website on social media. It's the Mini Break Podcast. And, of course, if you're listening to that, like, rate, subscribe, review it on iTunes, as well as our Great Shot Podcast, where we just dove into the ITA kickoff weekend preview, and we'll have a recap of that weekend's action later on during this week. Uh, of course, on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, you guys know the deal by now. It's at Cracked Rackets. If there's any other of the guests we've had on in the past that you would like to hear an update from now, please just let us know. We're always open to those sorts of ideas. And again, uh, like, rate, subscribe, review, follow, share with your friends. As soon as you do it, I will stop asking. So please, 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 let's see that. Uh, you know, just go leave a little review on there for me. It's quite easy, I promise. So with that in mind, got to give a shout out, as always, to our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff, who have a an editing job to do when you've got to keep three podcasts going throughout a Grand Slam tournament. You know, we don't want to leave you hanging on the college coverage. We don't want to leave you hanging on the interview front and we don't want to leave you hanging on the mini break front so shout out to those guys and all the hard work they do but for our wonderful guests tonight Braden Schnur for our super producers Max Flinger Daniel Westhoff and for all of us here at both Cracked Records and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network I'm your host Alex Gruskin we hope you enjoyed this home stretch of the Australian Open and we will see you all next time thanks everyone <laughs> <laughs>